Well, I am really excited for this last part of our weekend, and I think you're going to be really blessed and encouraged and challenged by it. Um, We're going to talk today about women of faith who are more recent, all right, after Bible times, but women who are applying what we've been learning from the Word, who love Jesus and the Word, and applied this from the Word into their lives to be women of faith, just as we need to take from the Bible and apply it to our lives to be women of faith as well. And so we're going to learn about Esther on Kim and Elizabeth Elliot and Johnny Erickson Tata, who um, Elizabeth Elliot and Johnny Erickson Tata are still alive today. And um, they have a lot uh, for us to learn from their lives as well. And a theme with these three women and their examples of faith is that they all um, go through a lot of suffering, which is another huge part of growing in faith, is that the wind and rain that makes the oak tree grow stronger, that's suffering. And Sarah and Rahab and Ruth all had suffering and heartache and struggle in their lives, and there's lots and lots of that in the lives of these three ladies tonight and this morning. And so I wanted to read to you Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Remember, hope is like trust and faith, the confident expectation of coming good. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this um, hope comes through trial, perseverance, character that produces this hope, trust, faith in us. And these women are really great examples of that. And I'm excited to see what we can learn from that today. So I encourage you persevere in seeking diligently and focusing this morning as well to get all you can out of these lessons of women of faith as well. So let's pray um, as we get started and we'll have Sylvia uh, teach first and then Myrna and Angela and they'll each be teaching us about one of these ladies all in chronological order. And I just urge you, learn all you can from their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to grow to be women of faith. We want to please you, Father. We know without uh, having faith in you, it's impossible to please you. And we want to please you, God. We want to seek you diligently with all of our hearts. We want to follow these great examples and be inspired by them, Lord. Examples of people, imperfect and sinful and regular human beings as they are, they learned to trust in you and have faith in you and hope in you alone. And we want to do that as well, God. I pray that you would use this, Lord, to help us to depend on you more, the one who will never let us down and can help us endure anything, Father. God, I just pray for Sylvia and Myrna and Angela, as they come to teach us today, and Lord, I pray that you would speak through them by your Holy Spirit, 
and that you would be the one who would teach us and convict our hearts and challenge us and help us to change, to glorify you, to have faith in you more and more. And Lord, we also just pray for our families and church family as they're having church in Pasadena right now and just pray that you would bless them, Lord, and help them glorify you and grow in you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again. If I didn't get to say good morning to all of you at, at breakfast, and I hope you guys had a good night's sleep. I did. I never sleep well the first night, but the second night, out. And after all that fun dancing and everything, <laughs> we were out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, it's just, it's been amazing to, to, to be taught and hear about these, um, these ladies. You know, first it was Sarah and then Rahab and uh, Ruth. And you think, oh, but that's, that's the Bible. Those are ladies of the Bible. But you know, God is always at work. He is always looking for women of faith to do his work. And it's not just for Old Testament. It's not just for New Testament, but it's for today. It's, we are for him today. And so we can all step up as women of faith. And so we're going to learn about these three women in present day that, that did just that. And so it's not just about the women we we've learned so far and the ones we're going to share with you, but it's about us and what God wants to do in our lives. So before we start, I'm going to pray again because I always pray over myself too and, and the teaching. So if you bow with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this glorious new day that you've given us in which we can honor you and glorify in you. I thank you, Lord, that you've brought us all together. Everything is by divine appointment with you, Lord, and we know we're here for a reason. So thank you, Lord, for meeting us here in this place and speaking us to us through your word. I pray to God that my words be yours and that you reach out to these ladies and that you help each of us share their stories so that we can all understand what you did in their lives and what you're still doing in lives today. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you. In your name, amen. Okay, so today I'm going to share with you the story of, let me time myself, um, Esther Ahn Kim, of her suffering and powerful faith. As Jenny said, um, I thought about this when I was, you know, praying when I was asked to do this bio-devotional, and I couldn't get away from the from the suffering part of it. And um, so I prayed about that and I thought, Lord, this is what you want us to talk about, you know, as, in our last session, but there's a reason. And I, I think um, there's just a theme going on here. It's faith, but in this particular, with these ladies, it's faith and suffering and, and, and you'll see as we move on. So let me set the stage for her, her story, her life story. In 1935, the Japanese um, uh, invaded Korea. And, you know, we've all been hearing a lot about Korea in the news. And so that, that particular area of the world has always had a lot of turmoil. And in, in 1935 was no, no different. The Japanese had taken control of, of Korea. And in doing that, they began to force, start forcing the Koreans um, to bow to their shrine, the sun god. They felt that it, 
you know, this was their country now, and they wanted everyone to, to bow down to their sun god. So, um, and there were no exceptions. Um, at the time, um, Esther was a, a young music teacher, and she had been highly educated and, and uh, from a, a background of wealth in that area, and her dad was an industrialist, and so he, and she was educated, and she had been educated in Japan and had learned Japanese, and so, but she was back in Korea, and she was teaching music. So the time came, they went, they went town by town, um, making the Koreans and everyone bow down to this sun god. So they came to her town, and it was time for all of them to go and do that. So when the Japanese soldiers marched Esther and her music students up a hill, the shrine was up on a hill, they marched them up there, Esther knew what she would do. Even though many of her fellow Christians, um, they decided that outwardly it was okay to bow as long as they were worshiping God inwardly. Now, something doesn't sound right about that, right? But they, you know, they feared. But Esther was different. And she said, I can't, I can't make that kind of compromise. She would not bow down to any other but the one true God. So they marched him up and defying the Japanese warlord and knowing that they were, if she defied these warlords, these Japanese warlords, that it would likely mean torture and imprisonment. But Esther decided that she would not live her youthful life for herself but would offer it fully to Jesus Christ. So as she's being marched up this hill with her students, she is praying the Lord's Prayer over and over, knowing something was going to happen. When the order was shouted to the crowd, Esther stood alone among thousands of kneeling people. Picture that in your mind. There are thousands kneeling, and Esther, this one young woman, is standing alone for Christ. And in bold defiance of the tyrannical, tyrannical command to bow to the pagan Japanese shrine, she stood, knowing she had done what God had wanted her to do. And knowing that, a calmness and a peace flooded her, and she was able to stand there. So what does it mean when Esther had to take up her cross, or that she took her cross up for the Christ? There were going to be consequences, right? So she was allowed to go back to her students, but obviously everyone saw what she had done, including the warlords. So for several months, Esther left her home, left her students, left everything she knew, and went into hiding. She knew it was only a matter of time before she found that she would be, that she would be found and imprisoned for the stand that she had taken against the Japanese. But instead of cowering in fear and worry about her future, she decided to prepare her heart and her body to suffer for Christ. This is what she would write in her diary. I knew it would be impossible for me to keep my faith in my own power. God would have to work through me if I was going to stand for him. You know, she, she did some amazing things in this preparation she memorized books of the Bible because they weren't going to be with her. Books of the Bible. So that she would always have the word in her heart. She prepared her body. She starved it because she knew they were going to starve her. She ate very little. And she was a, she was a tiny, tiny thing. 
But she prepared her body because she knew she, her stand for Christ was not over. Esther felt God calling her to come out of hiding and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel among the Japanese. So remember, she's been in hiding, but God is telling her, you got to come out. you got to do something. I can't just keep you hidden. So she knew that if she did come out, out of hiding, she would, it would likely lead to her death, but she was determined to follow Christ wherever he led her. So at one point, she did come out of hiding, and she traveled to Tokyo. Hello, she's in Korea. Now she's traveling to Tokyo. But she felt compelled by the Lord to, to make the Japanese leaders there in Tokyo understand what these warlords were doing to her fellow Christians in prison because they were torturing them. And I won't go through the details, but the, they, she describes the torture that they went through. It was horrible. I mean, things that, that you, couldn't make, you couldn't even imagine a man could do to another man. And so she felt that these Japanese leaders needed to know that because they didn't understand what was really going on in Korea. So she travels there. And she speaks them. God starts opening doors. He miraculously opened doors for her to speak courageously about the torture of her fellow Christian believers. She went from one leader to another. She had to wait. They moved her on. She'd speak to another leader. And while she was in Tokyo, she spoke to many of them. Her testimony helped secure better treatment and living conditions in the prisons. So they heard her. And, and they were like, stunned that their warlords were treating them. So there was some better treatment. Word got back, treat these people better. Another miracle. She's allowed to return to her homeland. So they could have kept her there, but they let her go back to her homeland. But once again, she went into hiding. And after months on the run, she was finally captured and condemned to a living death. So she had been preparing herself to die, but they put her in prison instead. Her courageous stand for Christ led to six horrible, harrowing years in Japanese prisons. And during that time, though her body grew weak with suffering, she shone with supernatural love toward her persecutors and fellow prisoners. And even through torture, and she was tortured, she refused to deny the name of Christ. Her astounding example of suffering hardship as a good soldier for Christ brought many to the kingdom who would have never heard the gospel otherwise. And after, her, after she was released, her story of her imprisonment and unwavering faith, and she kept a diary, so all of that was kept in a diary, um, became an all-time um, bestseller in Korea and throughout the world. And we're reading it today, and that was her life story. So it's, it has inspired, her life has inspired countless thousands to stand strong in their faith. So how do we glean from Esther's example? What does that mean to us? How do, we, how do we use her as an example? Well, Esther's story challenges me to ask the question, am I and are you prepared to suffer well for Christ? Is our faith that strong? In the midst of our comfortable American lifestyles, it's easy to think, well, of course, if persecution came, I would never deny Christ, you know, of course, if I were thrown into prison, I'd, I'd remain strong in my faith. But could we really? Could we be an Esther? You know, ladies, suffering hurts. It isolates. It cripples. Yet the Bible makes it clear that suffering is a part of a call to faith. 
Jesus said in Mark 8:34, "Take up your cross and follow me." We're not even supposed to be surprised when we suffer. We're not supposed to say, "Wait a minute, something strange is happening here." Because God Jesus said, "Take up your cross, follow me." But we are commanded in 1 Peter 4:12 to 13 to rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. This is Paul speaking so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So how can this be? How can we be overjoyed? You know, suffering knocks us to our knees. But when we're on our knees, what should we do? Pray. Because while we're there, we pray. That's a good thing. The one of the hidden benefits of suffering is that it can draw us closer to God. If we are willing to move in that direction, we can reach for a deeper connection with God and learn things we've bypassed in times of comfort. You know, when it's easy, things just go swimming by and we don't pay attention to things. But when we're suffering, it stops us in our tracks. It brings us to our knees. Suffering teaches us humility and it opens our hearts. Jesus did not come to explain away suffering or remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. So how exactly do we get through our suffering, you ask? How is that possible? Often we begin by saying something as simple as this prayer. Father, you have allowed this suffering to come to me, and I accept it in the name of Christ. I ask you to unite my suffering to his so that through it may, it may become more like him. I may become more like him every day. And in Matthew 6.34 it says, And remember, we need to concentrate on what we are being asked to endure today. Of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with with asking the Lord, please relieve me from this suffering. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm, I want this to go away, God. But we also need to prepare our hearts for whatever God's will may be. A former pastor of mine, he used to advise people to put pain in God's hands and leave it to him. This is what he'd say. If it's his will, you are to bear it. He used to talk like that. If it's his will, you are to bear it. God will fortify you with sufficient understanding and strength to endure it. Do it. Be strong. He knew firsthand that prayer would remove suffering. He also knew that prayer was needed in order to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. That's Romans 12, 12. You know, when we do suffer, we're called to do so patiently. So we're called to suffer, and then we're called to do it patiently. Man, that's hard. But why? Because God's, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If Christ could do it, we have to do it. Keeping a positive attitude and concentrating on better days ahead is important to surviving our difficult times. We must resist temptation to become bitter and instead join Apostle Paul in saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So this is what Paul said in James 1 verses 2 to 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And you know, strange as it may seem, one of the primary purposes of being shaken by suffering is to make our faith unshakable. Faith is like a, like a muscle tissue, and we're all feeling our, our muscles. <laughs> what muscles we have, right, this morning? But faith is like a muscle tissue. If you stretch it to the limit, it gets stronger not weaker. That's what James means here. When your faith is threatened and tested and stretched to the breaking point, 
the result is greater capacity to endure. That's how it works, ladies, and that's called steadfastness. God loves faith so much that he will test it to the breaking point. So as you keep it, so as to keep it pure and strong, just as he did to Esther. Are we ready to get to the breaking point? I don't know. Search your heart. Sometimes I'm not so sure I am. I'm not so sure I can be an Esther. You know, God had a purpose in Esther's extreme suffering. It was in order not just to share the gospel, but in order that Esther would not rely on herself and on her own resources, but on God and God alone, specifically the promised grace of God. That's all Esther had in prison was God and the word that she had she had uh, memorized and hidden in her heart. So it was to prepare her because he knew he had such great things for her to do. But we must ask ourselves, are we truly dying to self daily, as Esther did? Or are we more concerned with protecting our own comforts and interests than in concentrating on our lives fully to Jesus Christ? We have to ask our question, ourselves that question. The only way to be a true follower of Christ is to willingly give up everything. Are you willingly to give up everything and to take up our cross and follow him? That's found in Matthew 10, 38 and Luke 9, 23. So here we are, ladies. Here's where the rubber hits the road. When we are more concerned with how many friends we have on Facebook than on what, on, with what priority Jesus has in our daily life, we are not prepared to suffer for him. When we are more preoccupied with having enough time to go to Starbucks than having enough time to spend in God's presence, we are not preparing to suffer for him. When we are reluctant to give our time, resources, and energy to others in order to preserve our own comforts, we're not preparing to suffer for him. You know, we will never gain Esther's version of faith, of her supernatural boldness and sacrificial love by coddling our own self-interest and protecting our own comforts. And we do that. And in our society, we're taught and told to be that way. But Christ is saying just the opposite in his word. You know, certainly there's nothing wrong with Facebook friends. I have Facebook friends. There's nothing wrong with Starbucks drinks. I drink them. You drink them. Or material comforts. God blesses us. But... When these kind of things that are temporary become more important to us than Jesus Christ, we are not walking the narrow way of the cross anymore. We are merely, merely living selfish lives with this Christian label over them. Whew, the fingers pointed at me. So Esther on Kim counted the cost of following Jesus, not only on the day when she refused to bow at the shrine, but every day thereafter. And when she willingly and gladly gave up her comforts and trained her body to endure hardship for the sake of Christ, when she came out of hiding and boldly proclaimed the gospel among the Japanese, and when she endured horrible misery in prison rather than deny her faith in Christ. You know, Esther did something that was just amazing. Her life was no longer her own. She truly gave it over to Christ. And every outward decision she made reflected that inner reality. If you desire to do big things for God, ask yourself today, 
whether you have truly counted the cost of following Christ. You know, this world needs more women like Sarah, like Rahab, like Ruth, like Esther, on Kim, women who totally walk in faith with God, who unreservedly take up their cross and follow him, no matter what the cost. May it be our greatest desire to follow such a path. Taking up the cross is not for just women in the Old Testament. It's not for just these women in the 20th century. It is for us women in the 21st century. May it be our greatest desire to follow this path and joyfully suffer any hardship for the one who gave everything to us. If we do that, the world will never be the same when they encounter such a life as yours. Are we ready? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you again that you have spoken to us. Help us, Lord, to have your strength be our strength, to be those women of faith that you want us to be, Lord, to take up the cross. And if it's to mean to suffer for you, Lord, then help us to do that willingly because you suffered for us. Thank you, Lord, for doing everything you have for us, for giving your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this is the book. It's called If I Perish. I highly recommend it. It's, it's an easy read. Those chapters just go like that. I mean, every chapter is like two or three pages, and you just flip right through it, and it's wonderful. And I didn't go into a lot of the detail because I didn't have the time. But she, her, her life story is just amazing. And um, like I said, I encourage you to get it. You can get it at any bookstore, and they'll order it for you. And um, if you want to know more about it, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> I'm gonna be louder than Sylvia. My voice normally carries, anyways. <laughs> um, whew, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you just how awesome you are, Lord, and uh, these women of the 20th century just uh, teach us so much, Lord. I just pray that. Uh, this time and this uh, bio-devo would be just a, a great learning time, not only uh, for these women, Lord. And I just thank you that you give me the opportunity to do this, and uh, if nothing more, for, for just me, Lord. And so I just ask that you would just uh, pour your blessing upon this time, and um, I just thank you so much just for your love and your mercy, Lord. And so be with us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so I had the honor of doing Elizabeth Elliot, and I love Elizabeth Elliot. She's written over 24 books. She actually, I'm correcting Jenny, she is no longer with us. She passed away in June of 2015, so it's only been three years. Um, but uh, she was an awesome uh, woman of God. She had a lot of faith, and uh, she walked the walk. She talked the talk. I mean, she she did um, a lot of things, and... Um, and she knew her calling from the age of 12, uh, which is amazing. She grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian family, and uh, her father was a pastor, um, and they went from 
state to state. And so they were very well founded. She was very well, uh, had a great foundation for her faith. Um, she met Jim Elliott, um, who passed away. Um, he was killed actually um, in the uh, Amazon. He was, he had, him and four others had gone to um, a missionary trip and they had been doing this for months and trying to reach this, uh, this tribe and it's called the, I'm going to mispronounce it, Waka uh, tribe. Um, she, him and these four other missionaries actually were killed. Um, and then after about a year uh, after her husband was, was killed, um, she and her daughter, she had a daughter by this time, and uh, she decided that she wanted to go to the Awaka tribe and reach out to them, and, um, and, and she did. She lived there on the edge of the Awaka uh, tribe because they were very um, they were known to be very uh, they just slaughtered people <laughs> because they were savages they were uh, um, they had and it was all because they were afraid that people would take over their their tribe and so she learned the Awaka language and she said if, if and I've heard her speak and she was it's just, she said, everything you, she translated the Bible into the Awaka uh, language. And this is what she studied in, in college. She studied to be a translator. Um, so she was married to Jen Elliott, and uh, she's written, like I said, 24 books. She's done, she did many appearances throughout the U.S. and Canada and Europe. And, I mean, she did a lot of things, and she was just a, a great woman. Um, I've read two of her books, Keep a Quiet Heart and A Path Through Suffering. Um, and so I actually love one of her, uh, one of her quotes from, uh, from her book. And it says, when obedience to God contradicts what I think will give pleasure, let me ask myself if I love him. And I love that quote because it's so hard to really say, oh, I can, do I really love him? Or do I, do I, or am I just living for myself? Um, in, De in Deuteronomy twelve twenty eight, uh, it says, "Observe and obey all the words, all these words which I command you, that I may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord God." Um, so. Walking in obedience leads to walking in faithfulness. You know, when we trust God, we serve the God we serve, then uh, it's easy to walk in that obedience. Or most of us would say, yeah, sure, I can do that. <laughs> it's not hard, but it really is. We, we are to note and listen to the revealed will of God, giving all our attention, not to just what we like or portions of what we like, but to all these words. That's what it says in Deuteronomy all these words, right? Um, and what does all mean? All means all. <laughs> Not just portions of it, all of it. Um, so in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed uh, than the uh, fat of the rams, right? So discipline, obedience, it's all closely related, ladies. 
Um, it, it links with faithfulness. When we are obedient to the word of God, it proves us faithful, right? We've talked about that this weekend uh, just with, uh, with Rahab. She said, you know, she did, immediately did what she was told to do to save her. So that's what it means to be immediate, to be obedient is it's, it's important. So now we can choose to disobey. Many of us do. All right. That's okay. But we know that there's going to be discipline for it. Right. That's, that was, that's what it comes. We can have a, God gives us either a verbal or a physical discipline. Right. Just like our parents. Let me give you an example of a verbal discipline. You know, I've been in the stores before and you can see some parents and they have their kids and their kids are throwing a tantrum in the middle of the floor, right? And you see them, and, you, and in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, somebody get a hold of their kid, right? And you hear the parents, honey, get up from the floor. If you don't stop, I'm gonna leave you here, right? Or they're counting, one, two, three. I'm telling you now, get up, right? We've all seen that. And, uh, and that's a verbal discipline. They're, they're kind of asking them for permission. Hey, get up, please. They're not really doing it. And so then they, they go and go after them and then come back and get them. And they're like, stay here, don't move, blah, blah, blah. And what happens two or three minutes later? The child is doing the same thing. Why is that? Well, that's simple. Because they're verbal, they've learned, that child has learned that, hey, it's okay. She's telling me that I can't do this. It's a verbal, but... I'm really not, I don't really have to listen to what they're, they're saying. They, these, these children have learned that they're not the authority. The parent is not the authority. They're the authority. All right? Now, I was talking to my mom about this and about doing this study, and, and she said, you know, um, when I was growing up, my mom was very harsh, and, and my grandma was very harsh and stern, and, Kind of thing. She goes, but my my grandfather to them was uh, totally opposite. And so she said, my mom would yell at us and we'd come running. My grandfather would my grandfather would whistle at them, and they could be a couple of blocks down or whatever. And as soon as they heard that whistle, they there was no yelling, there was no screaming. They'd come straight home. Why? Because again, they knew. Who was an authority? They knew that it would, if they didn't obey immediately, my, my grandmother was a, a very verbal, uh, and my grandfather was subtle and whistle. They knew that they were under their authority. Uh, now, my parents weren't as creative as, as my, uh, my grandparents, uh, but we knew. We knew that... When they said, come, we came. There was, we knew that that meant for, uh, obedience immediately. There was no, no second chances, no anything. But of course, with it, even with that, if we didn't obey, we would get the discipline from it. And that would be the physical. <laughs> and believe it or not, I was never disobedient. I'm just kidding. 
So I knew the physical really, <laughs> really well in, in my case because, you know, I was that rebellious, you know, I'm going to do it my way kind of thing. And there was no warning with my parents and there was no, I'm going to count. There was either do it or do it, don't. And why did they do this for us? Because they loved us. They love us. How much more does the Lord love us? He, if we're disobedient, you know, he's going to, there's going to be a discipline, correct? So we need to be obedient, you know. Um, Hebrews 12, 6, 9, and 10 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scorches every son whom he receives. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who have corrected us, and we have paid them respects. Shall we not much more readily be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they indeed... For few days, chasteness has seemed best for them. But he, for our profit, that, he, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So obedience is important. The Lord wants obedience from us because it does. It profits us. It makes us more like him, more holy and more faithful. That was not me. <laughs> um. This also is important to say, because Elizabeth Elliot said this too, She's and I, I'm 100% agreements with her. Uh, she says, this means first-time obedience is important. And let me say that um, delayed obedience is still disobedience. And I am sometimes when the Lord tells me to do something, I am a delayed obedience person. <laughs> um, and so the Lord is truly speaking to me in this, in this study. Um, it's so easy for us to say, oh, okay, Lord, but can you give me five seconds or can you give me a few days? Let me just really pray about it. No, we're to obey first-time obedience um, and did you know that we're the only ones that have the right to say no to the Lord? We're the only ones, if you think about it. In the Bible, when the Lord told the wind, stop, it stopped. Calm down, it calmed down. No other creature ha can tell the Lord no. He has given us that choice. We are the only ones that can say no to the Lord. And, and that just, I never thought about that until this day. You know, until I was doing this, we are the only ones who can do that. How do we understand that obedience drives us closer to the Lord? Well, we must simply understand and remember whose authority we're under. We tend to forget that. Just as children should know whose authority they're under, we should know whose authority we're under, Right? Um, when we trust in God's presence, sovereignty, and his love, we can then be obedient to him directly. It's easy. Obedience is a training, and again, it produces righteousness, peace, and a deeper closeness, a closeness to, uh, to Jesus. 
um, Elizabeth said that um, her father made a plaque uh, and she placed it, he placed it in the front of the door. Um, and it, the plaque read, uh, Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation, to, the silent listener to every conversation. This was a reminder of whose authority they were truly under. For them, every time they walked in and they saw that plaque, they knew that they were under the authority of Christ and that the obedience would come from, would be to Christ. Uh, Elizabeth was a very faithful uh, woman and she knew that that's, that was her calling. She always, she always talked about her calling. Her calling was, she knew it from the age of 12, that that was to go out and translate and out into the mission field and to uh, parts of the world that didn't know uh, the word of God. And she was faithful to do that. Um, so we must remember who we're truly under. Obedience produces faithfulness because we know truly who the master is of our life, right? We must be faithful to read and put into practice his word. How do you do that? We meditate on it and we listen and we, we uh, read his word daily. That's the only way we can know what he really wants us to do, right? Obedience will make us more like the Lord. It will make us more into our image. That will lead even to lead other people to, to Jesus, right? So um, also obedience or disobedience will show the world who our testimony. I mean, people will see who we are by who we who our authority is. And if we're under God's authority and we're under who he is, that's what it's going to show. Um, Elizabeth shared a, st a story one time about how um, her headmaster um, used to say this to her. She, she was in a boarding school when she was younger and uh, for some time. And her headmaster used to uh, say this to them all the time. Don't carry a Bible under your arm without sweeping under the bed. So <laughs> why was that? Well, back in those times, uh, they would have to clean up and, you know, and there would be uh, the teachers would come by and check the beds and check underneath and make sure and stuff. So basically what she was saying is what it means is don't don't go around talking about spiritual things if you're not willing to obey the word of, of God. If you're going to be disobedient, why are you talking about it? So again, we must walk the walk if we're going to talk the talk, right? And so the world is watching. And many times we're the only Bible the world is going to see. So uh, to be obedient is, is part of our calling. To, that God has given us. Uh, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're at working at home, uh, you have to know the word of God and you have to keep it in your heart and in your mind. Obedience does produce faithfulness. It makes you that faithful woman, you know? And this shows we have a deeper connection with the Lord. It shows that we have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ when we're obedient women, it proves us faithful because he is telling us 
he is our master and we're submitting to that. We talked about that with Sarah. She you know, when she became that submissive, uh, Jenny talked about it, you know, being that submissive, and it proved her faithful. Same with us. It will prove us faithful women to Christ when we do that. So here's a couple of questions for you. You want to be proven faithful women? Then who is your master? Whose authority are you under? Right? Are you willing to obey the calling that God has given, set before you? Right? Are you willing to have that quiet spirit? Sometimes we talk so much that we're not even listening to the Lord and what the Lord has to say. That we can't even be obedient because we're too busy talking instead of sitting quietly at God's feet. So, are you willing to hear his instructions for your life? Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you again. Just Lord, I just pray that I would be quiet at times and be still and know what you want for my life, Lord. And Lord, may we just all be women that sit quietly and be those Marys and listen to your word and listen to and be obedient, not with delayed reaction, Lord, but immediately first-time obedience, Father. If we could just remember that you are the master of all and the master of our hearts, Father, that we could lead others to Jesus. I just pray that, that we would be those women, Lord. And I just thank you for just this opportunity, just to that reminder for myself, Lord, that you are my master and you are my Lord. May we just be those living Bibles to the world today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. here. I, I'm a little bit taller than these other speakers, so I'm not going to stand on this step so I don't tower over the pedestal. I just need a place to stand behind it. And with this lovely allergy stuff, I'm Kleenex and, and water. And thank you, Linda, for the cough drops. <laughs> It is. <laughs> yes, it is going to be that long. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm ready. Um, <laughs> can you tell I'm a little anal? But um, I had trouble walking up here because my toes have been stepped on so much. Suffering and all of that that goes with that. I'm such a weenie. And the whole obedience thing and delayed obedience is not obedience. No, you know, you don't. And that was really eye-opening. I had never really thought about that we are the only created thing that can say no to the Lord. 
oh, how many times have I said, okay, Lord, but right after this, or even said no? Oh, like I wanted to when Jenny asked me to do this. (laughs) And I was delayed in answering her, so I'm sorry about that. (laughs) So anyway, okay. Well, I'm always a little nervous. When I, not a little. Okay, I'm, I'm lying. I'm sweating like tons <laughs> under here. I've already had to go to the bathroom twice. My heart's like this. So anyway, even though it's you're my sisters and I love y'all so much and y'all right here and I can talk to you one-on-one all day long, but something about the whole eyes boring into you is like, oh. So anyway, well, good morning. Now, When Jenny asked me to do this presentation on Johnny Erickson Tata, I was in the midst of dealing with my mom's stroke, and April was an eternity away. I mean, just like, oh, I was a little bit delayed, so I guess it wasn't true obedience. I did say yes, but it was like, oh, April, sure, end of April, sure. But as we all know, time marches on. And for those of us who've had more birthdays than others, it actually races on. And here it is, April 29th. So once we got mom settled into her rehab home, I threw myself full force into everything Johnny. I signed up for her daily devotions. I watched the movie about her life. I read two of her three autobiographies in one volume. I became a Johnny expert. But in all my expertise, I hit a blank wall. You know, I just couldn't seem to wrap my mind around what this devotion should be about or what direction to take it. So here it was, early April, and I was getting pretty desperate. Now, I'm sure some of you more mature believers, much more mature than me, can already see what my problem was. You know, I was so focused on what I needed to present and all things Johnny that I simply lost my focus because this devotion should not be focused on either one of those two people, me or Johnny, but rather on Jesus. And that I can't do it in my own strength. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much I throw myself into things and doing things. It has to be through His Spirit. So, you know, I am amazed that I can be this old and still so spiritually dense. And it takes me that long to realize it. And thank you, Lord, for your patience and faithfulness to me. So, with all that said... Will you please join me in prayer as I attempt to glorify our Lord in this devotion on the present-day saint of Johnny Erickson Tata. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you be the glory, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for using the base and foolish things. Thank you that I am base and foolish, Lord. I pray that you would use this foolish old woman's words, Lord to glorify you. We love you so very much, and you have much to teach us, and thank you so much for people that um, are obedient and that we can look at their lives and um, use them as an example for our lives. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, well, 
For those of you who are not familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, or those of you who might need a refresher course, I have her autobiographies and I have her movie, and you're more than welcome to watch these or read these anytime you want. Um, but I'm going to attempt to give you the Reader's Digest or the Wikipedia version on Johnny. Johnny was named after her daddy, and she was born October 15, 1949. She is an evangelical Christian, an author, an artist, a radio host, and she's the founder of Johnny and Friends, which is um, an organization that accelerates the Christian ministry in the disability community. Now, Johnny was very active and athletic all through her growing up years. In fact, she was competing and winning awards, and she enjoyed riding horses, hiking, tennis, and swimming. However, everything changed the summer after she graduated high school. On July 30th, 1967, while she was out with her sister and friends, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay. Unfortunately, she misjudged the shallowness of the water, and she suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical levels and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. Now, during the following two years of her rehabilitation, and as you can only imagine, she experienced anger and depression, suicidal thoughts, and even religious doubts. In fact, at one point, she begs her friend to please help her commit suicide. She saw no reason to live. She said, just cut my wrist, she pleaded with her. I won't feel anything. She couldn't feel anything from her shoulders down. It will be an easy and painless death. Unfortunately, her friend did not listen to her. And in time, the Lord graciously uses Johnny's suffering for his glory. And what's so amazing about that is that when the Lord uses suffering for his glory, he uses it for his glory and he used it for Johnny's good. But not just Johnny's good, but thousands of other people's good. Now, as I mentioned before, Johnny is an accomplished artist. I don't know if you have ever seen her artwork. She is an amazing artist. She can paint and sketch. And she does this by holding a paintbrush or a pencil between her teeth, which is amazing to me since I can't even paint or draw very well with my hands, much less my teeth. But she is, I'm, I'm just amazed that she can do that. Um, she's authored over 40 books. She's recorded several musical albums. And she starred in an autobiographical movie about her life. And she advocates for people with disabilities. But all of this in the name and the power and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Johnny is married. She did get married. She married Ken Tata in 1982, and Ken was a high school history teacher and coach, but he's retired now. <coughs> oh, sorry. I was hoping that didn't happen. <coughs> Nothing like listening to somebody bark in a microwave, a microwave, a microphone, <laughs> or a microwave, I guess. But in 2010, Johnny was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. She underwent a mastectomy and chemotherapy, and her treatment has pr proven to be successful, and she was declared cancer-free in 2015. Well, there you have it. There is the semi-condensed version of Johnny's life. But what I would like to share with you today is how the Lord uses Johnny's and our suffering for both our good and his glory. Now, suffering 
Isn't that a delightful subject? I mean, just something you just so want to talk about. But the truth is we live in a sinful world and we will all suffer. Either we're suffering right now or we will suffer and all to varying degrees. And one of the things that is just so amazing to me about our Lord, he's so individual and our suffering is actually personalized just for us. One person's suffering will look totally different from somebody else's. But thankfully, the Lord uses all things for good, not just the easy things and not just the lovely things, but the hard things, the struggles, trials, and sufferings. As Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Through her suffering, Johnny came to a point in which she actually saw her situation as a God-given privilege and that she was special and especially appointed for this gift of paralysis. This quote from one of her autobiographies stood out to me because it is so counterintuitive to how we think of suffering. Johnny, in writing about her paralysis, states, quote, God engineered circumstances. He used them to prove himself as well as my loyalty. Not everyone had this privilege. I felt there were only a few people God cared for in such a special way that he would trust them with this kind of experience. I saw that my injury was not tragic, not a tragedy, but a gift God was using to help me conform to the image of Christ, unquote. Such spiritual maturity. Can you imagine? But, you know, the truth is, if we allow the Lord to work through our suffering, it becomes a catalyst for spiritual maturity. And ultimately, our goal is to become more Christ-like. And how, how better to conform to Christ's image but through suffering? In regard to suffering, Johnny further states, quote, I really began to see suffering in a new light, not as trials to avoid, but as opportunities to grab, because God gives so much of his love, grace, and goodness to those who do. Isn't it amazing what our Lord can do with a life that is devoted to him? Even suffering is seen as a gift, an opportunity, and a privilege. Now, this is not to say Johnny's some super saint, and that she did all of these accomplishments because, whoa, she just really bored through it and did this all in her own strength. No, all of this was done through the strength of the Lord. You know, in fact, over the years, she has fallen in and out of depression. As you can only imagine, of course, anger and or self-pity. But one of the examples, actually one of the main examples of her life, is that during those times, she immediately, that's the not delayed obedience, but she immediately starts to praise him in her situation. So when she's going through these times of depression, she praises the Lord for being paralyzed in that she is in that situation, which is dumbfounding to somebody like me who doesn't have any of those burdens. You know, this is what spoke to me most in studying how the Lord was, has used and is still using Johnny. Confession time. I am such a weenie. I know that doesn't come as a shock to you, and I mean a weenie in all things, but particularly in suffering. 
So when I was doing this, it was like, oh my goodness, this is one of the things I'm most weenified in. I mean, I, suffering just downright frightens me, even if I know it's suffering for the Lord. I'm just even thinking about it makes me nervous. But the Lord uses our suffering and pain to draw us to him and to further his kingdom. And as so often as, as this is the case, the Lord's ways and his thoughts are radically different than ours. I mean, I know that we would not choose the vehicle of suffering to conform us into the image of Christ, but his ways are so different and they're the right way. So even for a weenie, it's, it's a, a good thing to remember. Now, can you imagine what her life was like and, and is like? I mean, really think about it. Paralyzed from the shoulders down and at 17, she would have to and has to currently depend on someone else the rest of her life. She can no longer bathe herself, dress, go to the bathroom by herself, have children. She can't even turn over in bed, feel with her hands, walk, run, skip, swim, comb her hair, put on makeup, wipe her nose, wipe her eyes, scratch, dance, anything. And all of this at 17. And then as an adult, she has to battle breast cancer in this condition. You know, she could have wallowed in self-pity. And she confesses that she did and she does, of course, still struggle. But instead of wallowing in that self-pity, she chooses to glorify the Lord. You know, I'm convicted to think I have that choice every single day to glorify the Lord in my situation without the burden of paralysis. I mean, how much more should I or we be relying and glorifying the Lord? It may seem strange, but we learn to embrace God and cling to him when we suffer. Our hearts become detached from the things of earth and attached to the things of heaven when we are deprived of the things that we consider earthly or temporal blessings. True blessing is not the absence of suffering, but rather it is Christ's presence in that suffering. In reflecting on how the Lord uses Johnny's suffering for others to glorify himself, I started looking at different sufferings in the Bible in which that were used by the Lord. You know, Job's suffering ultimately ended up glorifying the Lord. Joseph's suffering preserved the nation of Israel. David's suffering resulted in the Psalms, which are still ministering to us today. The hemorrhaging woman's suffering allowed her the privilege to touch the Lord's garment, be instantly healed, and to testify of his goodness. The suffering of the disciples spread the gospel. The suffering of Paul gave him an audience with leaders the privilege of writing many books of the New Testament and having an incredible testimony. The Bible has quite a bit to say on suffering. And here's just a, just a short little snapshot. You know, in Colossians 1.24 and Romans 5.3, the Bible tells us that we're to rejoice in our sufferings and that, we are to, and that it produces endurance. In 2 Timothy 4.5, tells us that we to endure the suffering. 
Romans 8, 18, and Sylvia touched on this verse. I love this verse. It tells us that the suffering of this present day doesn't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. That is, that's a, a good verse for a, a weenie. Philippians 3.10 and 2 Timothy 1.8 tells us that we are to share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And in 2 Timothy 2.3, the Bible tells us that we are to share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ. You know, Johnny has lived a life of physical suffering, but through that suffering, she has reaped spiritual blessings a thousandfold. What a fine example she is of enduring the suffering, of rejoicing in the suffering, and sharing in the sufferings, in Christ's sufferings. I'm thankful that she persevered through the valley and is running that race set before her. <clears throat> but in closing, I cannot talk about suffering without boasting in the greatest sufferer of all, our precious Lord Jesus Christ, who was lied to, betrayed, mocked, scourged, beaten, spit upon, pierced, crucified, rejected for our sakes into the glory of God the Father, Oh, how beautiful and wonderful and precious are the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our filthiness and the wrath of God so that we would never have to. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you allowed your son to go through so much suffering. And Lord, even though it frightens us to the core, we pray that you would um, help us to walk through our sufferings to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, thank you for the sufferings. Thank you that you shine in our sufferings. Thank you that you love us so very much. Thank you so much that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts radically different than ours. May you be glorified, Lord. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sorry. I told y'all I was a weenie. I knew I'd cry. <laughs> I guess I can take this. <laughs> Oh, and the Lord kept me from coughing and snorting on you all. <laughs> Yay. Wow. Well, thank you, ladies, all three of y'all, for sharing those wonderful examples. All right? How about that for some strong challenges right there at the end, okay? So we have a lot of examples to look up to. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful for all of y'all being here this weekend. I hope it was a blessing to you. And a blessing, like Angela was just talking about, blessing is not initially good things happening, but even in suffering, Christ's presence being with us. I love that. Thank you. So we um, want to uh, pray and close. 
and um, it's 1030, so we need to have y'all all packed up, and we need to get out by 11, all right, and have a safe trip home and a wonderful week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this weekend, this retreat, this opportunity to step away from everything else and come and seek you diligently and grow in you, grow in faith, be challenged by these examples of faith, Father God. Just pray that you would help us, Father, to apply this to our life now and not just listen to it and say, oh, that's wonderful, that's challenging, and, and not put it into practice. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk away from this um, changed and more obedient to you, growing in faith in you, growing in your word, rejoicing even in suffering, trusting in your presence with us, Father. I thank you so much for your sacrifice for us that makes all of this possible. And I pray that you would bless us and bless our travel and keep everyone safe as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.